So this week we've, we started a journey last Sunday looking at Isaiah chapter 6. And every night we've kind of been unpacking this a little bit more. Um, I, we hope, or I hope, and I pray that we're able to wrap this up this morning into this, like this nice, neat, neat little box, you know, put a bow on it and be like, man, this is, this is the ending of it all. Like we've, we've come through this journey. So this morning we're, we're going to talk in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 and Romans as well. And so uh, we're going to look at this idea of are we imitations or are we imitators? Are we imitations or are we imitators? What is it that God has called us to be as his followers? Uh, Isaiah 6, 8, the end of this whole passage. After Isaiah has seen God high and lifted up, he's been honest and vulnerable in his confession. He's been humble in his confession before God. He's been repentant. God has blessed him. He's, he's forgiven him his sins. He's taken away his iniquity. And then we have this, this amazing picture of Isaiah hears God. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us. So God is asking us this morning, listen, he's looking around saying, who will go to this culture? Who will go to this people? Who will go to the people of Green Bay? Who will go to the people of the world and be my messengers? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says this in verse eight, then I said, here I am, Send me. And remember, we, we looked at this last week that I can't imagine Isaiah being somber and, you know, just being like, here I am, God. Send me. He's not going to be this Eeyore. I mean, he just saw God high and lifted up the train of his robe filling the temple. He just experienced the forgiveness of God for his sins and was overwhelmed with the grace and love and mercy of God. And I don't know of anybody who has ever been forgiven much who just goes, eh, thanks, God. Here, send me. No, I mean, they get excited about it. God, here I am, Lord, would you please send me? It's, it's like that, that kid in Little League who's sitting on the bench going, put me in, coach, like I'm ready to play. Like I've done all the practice, I've done. God, would you put me in the game? And so God wants us to be an imitator of him. He wants us to imitate who he is. Well, that leads to the question, what does it mean to be an imitation and an imitator. Well, an imitation is, is this. It's a counterfeit and it's not real. I think about the, the treasury department with, uh, you know, counterfeit bills. They don't study counterfeit bills. Do you know what they study? The real thing. They memorize it down to the smallest detail so that they can look at a counterfeit bill and tell, is it real or not real? Well, let, let me ask you this. Any bakers in the church this morning. You like to bake? Okay, good. Guys, you can raise your hand too if you like to bake. That's okay. Um, I like to bake sometimes. And there's, there's times where you can go into the store and the recipe calls for vanilla. Do you buy the imitation vanilla or do you buy the real vanilla? Yeah, real vanilla. I mean, it makes everything taste so much better. Like we love to make chocolate chip cookies in our house. Of course, we don't quite make the cookies. We make more of the dough than the cookie ever probably gets eaten. Um, it doesn't ever make it to the oven for some reason. I can't figure that out. Like we make it, put it in the fridge, and then we start dulling it out like throughout the week. But, you know, I, I don't want imitation vanilla. I want the real thing. I'll pay a little extra for real vanilla. Well, guess what? God doesn't want us to be an imitation either. This is what an imitator means. To follow a pattern, a model, or an example, to resemble or to reproduce. 
God wants us. He has set the pattern. He is the model. And he's asking us to imitate him. Now, I'm going to embarrass myself just a little bit, as if I haven't done that already with you all this week. But I'm going to just keep the process up. It keeps me humble, which is really good. Um, This is a picture of me and my dad. Um, This is our family picture. I was probably... I'm going to say two and a half, maybe, maybe three in this picture, which would put my dad like 20, maybe 21. Um, you do the math and can figure that out, um, how all that works. But I, I wanted to be like my dad. Like in that picture, I'm wearing the same color suit, the same tie, the same shirt, the same wide collars. Welcome to the 70s, right? Like, so I wanted to be like my dad. I looked up to him. He was my hero, He was the guy who I wanted to emulate it. I was his mini me in a lot of ways. Um, When I got into high school, uh, my dad's business, they would call the house and I would answer the phone when we had landlines. You guys remember landlines? Yeah, okay. Um, And I would answer the phone and they would just go, hey, Sonny, go right into talking. And I'm like, "Um, this is his son. And they're like, oh my gosh, you sound so much like your dad. I'm so thankful they said that and not you sound like your mom. Like that would have been a little embarrassing but I was okay with that. I wanted to be like my dad. He'd go to work. I'd go into the closet and I'd put his shoes on and I'd do my best to tie a tie around. You know what I mean? I wanted to look like him. I'd put his jacket on, you know, and it'd be so overly large on me. And I'd come walking around the room like Ronald McDonald, you know, just like wandering through the house. But I wanted to be like my dad. Was he perfect? No. Did I want to, to be him because he had it all together? No. I wanted to be like my dad because he was a follower of of Christ. Here's a couple more pictures of me and my dad. This is me and my dad on my wedding day. And this is me and my dad, uh, I think probably six years ago um, at one of my cousin's weddings. Um, And you notice, I mean, we really do look like we could be brothers. Um, He's the younger one, obviously. Um, I'm just a good looking one. Just kidding. I know my dad's probably watching and I'll get a phone call later from that. I love you, Dad. Um, I know you're good looking because I'm good looking. Um, And I'm just the blonde version of my dad. I mean, we are a lot alike. Do I want to be like my dad because he never disciplined me out of anger? No, because he did that sometimes. I wanted to be like my dad simply because he was my dad. He was my dad. He loves Jesus. He's real, he's hardworking, he's loving, he's broken, he's messed up, but he's quick to ask for forgiveness. I wanted to be like my dad. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and he says this, imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dearly loved children. Paul is encouraging us not to be imitations, but he's encouraging us to be an imitator of God the Father. We are to imitate him. Listen, Jesus, Jesus came to this earth and lived a life to show us what it would look like if we imitated the Father. Um, Ephesians 5.2 goes on and it says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us pleasing aroma to God. We're to be imitators in that regard. Look at John 5, 19. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. 
Whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus was an imitator, imitating his father. He was not the imitation. He is God in the flesh, but he lived a life in such a way that he says, listen, imitate me as I imitate the father. Do what I'm doing because I'm doing what the father is doing. Say what I'm saying because I am saying what the father is saying. Imitate the father as I am imitating the father. So the question becomes then, how do we imitate God? How do you and I imitate our father who is there? Well, Ephesians tells us the first step is to first believe that you're dearly loved. Believe that you're dearly loved. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are dearly loved. Do you know that you're loved by God? I mean, we could say, yeah, I, I know it. But has that truly come into our lives to change us from the inside out? Do we operate from the belief that I am loved by God? Or do we still feel like I'm trying to earn God's love? Because if I could just do a little bit more, God might love me more. Listen, God will never love you more than what he loves you right now. You know why he loves you? Because you're his kid. You know why my dad loves me? Because I'm his kid. Do you know why I love my daughters? Because they're my kids. Think about that for a second. Do you know that you're loved? It's, It's amazing to know about something, but it's completely different to know something. Uh, growing up in, in Georgia, we used to, I grew up in Florida. And then, um, when I was in high school and college, my parents moved to Georgia. And so I grew up in the Atlanta area there, but there's this place called Stone Mountain. Anybody ever been to Stone Mountain or heard of it? Okay. Yeah. I remember as a little kid, we're there and we're with my great, great aunt and uncle. We're at their house and they're like, Hey, we're going to go to Stone Mountain for a laser show. And I'm thinking, okay, that sounds great. Yay. Like, you know, a teenager would be really excited to go see this thing. I'm like, what is Stone Mountain? They're like, it's a giant rock. How about we just stay and watch the baseball game? You know, how about we, we do something else? Like, who wants to go see a piece of rock? Um, and so I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so we go through the drive-thru, we get the fried chicken, and we're on our way to to go to Stone Mountain. And, and there's this one road, you, you like literally you cross over the crest of this hill, and there's Stone Mountain literally filling up the front of your windshield. And you're still several miles away. And you're like, oh, that's a big rock. And then you drive up and you park. And I remember standing at the base of this thing, just looking up at it like, wow, that's a big rock. And then they talk about, they've got the carvings of, of you know, guys up there. And they, could, they talked about how you could park school buses on the back of the horses. And you're like going, that's huge. I mean, I took this rock for granted. There it is. Got a joke across, Sarah. Write it down, yes. Listen, it's one thing to know about something. But once you've experienced it and you begin to know it, then you can begin to believe it. Do you believe that you are loved by God the Father? Do you believe that he loves you and he'll never love you more and he'll never love you less? His love is not dependent upon what you do or don't do. It's dependent on who you are in him. 
You are his child. Remember we said this this week. What you believe will determine how you behave. If I believe I'm loved, guess what? I will act out of, out of that love. I will then be loving to others. I find my identity as his son, not as the person who does things, but as just the fact of who he is. We've got to live a life filled with love. We imitate God by first knowing that we're dearly loved and being a dearly loved child. And then we live a life filled with love. Look at Ephesians 5, 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. We've spent lots of time this week looking at what the revived life looks like. It's a life that is focused on God. It's a life that is honest, a life that is humble, a life that is full of grace, a life of forgiveness, a life of living at peace with others. Paul takes this imitator idea a step further because he says, live a life filled with love. We, we like to use others as our measuring stick. Well, I love more than they do. Is that really our measuring stick? Or not? It's not. I'm going to go ahead and tell you because Paul says it. Look, he says, love following the example of Christ. There's our third way we should imitate God. We live a life filled with love following the example of God. How did Christ love us? Completely, fully, unconditionally. He gave his life for us. And you're sitting here going, I can't love like Christ loved. I mean, Paul says it. He says, follow the example of Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins. When was the last time you and I have died for someone else? Maybe not a physical death, but it could be an emotional death. It could be a mental death. It could be a, a rights death. It could be whatever. But when was the last time you were willing to give up what you wanted for somebody else? That's the kind of life that God is calling us to. The cross shows us the death of Christ. It shows us the payment for, his, for our sins, his willingness to humble himself completely to the point of death. He humbled himself fully to the Father, bringing glory back to God. If we follow Christ's example of sacrifice, then our lives will be a pleasing aroma. Look at the last part of that verse. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice us, a pleasing aroma to God. And I want my life to be a pleasing aroma to the Father. That man, with everything I do and, and how I live my life, God would be, oh, I'm pleased with that. Oh, that, that makes me look good. That makes me smile. But listen, a lot of times we, we just stop with the cross. I mean, it's great. I love Easter. We just came out of Easter. But could you imagine if we stopped with Friday night? We did a Friday night service and Jesus died on the cross. That was it? No, we don't stop on Friday, do we? We get together for those Friday night services. And what's one thing we say? Sunday's coming. Sunday's on the way. Why? Why is Sunday so important? Well, because it's at the empty tomb that we have life. But too many of us only celebrate Easter once a year. Church, do you realize why we moved worship 
to Sunday is to remember every single week that Christ rose from the dead, victorious over sin and the grave and death, and that through that, he offers to us life. We now can live this life. You're like, uh, I don't know about that, Ryan. I don't know that God has given me the power to live. Ephesians 1.19 says this. Paul writes and he says, I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. God has a power for you and I. And it's for those of us who believe. And you're like, well, what is that power? We'll look at verse, nine, look at verse 20. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What? Wait a minute. So you're telling me the same power that rolled the stone away on that Easter Sunday morning and the same power that spoke to Jesus who was dead for three days. He wasn't just on the verge of death. He was dead for three days, and spoke and said, hey, Jesus, come to life. And Jesus came back to life physically and bodily. That same power is active for you and me? Absolutely. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in us. And it's alive to us. But we've got to plug into the power source. If I put a lamp up here on the stage and we could black this entire room out, and it was completely black, but I had a lamp up here, and I'm just up here pulling the chain, and nothing happens. What's the problem? I forgot one major thing, didn't I? I got to plug it in. Just to have a lamp is great, but if it's not plugged into the power source, it's useless. It's not doing what it was meant to do. Church, we're powerless without God. And we've got to plug into the power source of God. We, we, we forget the empty tomb. The resurrection should impassion us. It should affect us and electrify. It should elevate and empower. It should encircle, energize, engage, and enhance. It should enlarge and enlighten, enslave and ensnare. It should entangle and enthrall and entreat, equip, erupt. It should establish, evoke, excite, exhilarate, expand, and explode in our lives. But yet it barely, it barely inspires us. We wonder, have you ever read the book of Acts? Thought, man, God, could you do that again? Like what changed God from the book of Acts to today? The great difference between present day Christianity and that of the New Testament letters is that to us, Christianity has become a performance. To them, it was a real experience. We are apt to reduce the Christian religion to a code or at best a rule of heart and life. J.B. Phillips wrote and said this, to these men, it is quite plainly the invasion of their lives by a new quality of life altogether. They do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. What? It's not just mere moral reformation. It's not about behavior modification. That doesn't even begin to describe the transformation and the exuberant vitality of the men's lives of the New Testament. 
If we could prove a motive for such reformation, then, then man, it, it would offer little encouragement to the early Christian. Because if it, if it was just sheer morality, how many people would say, man, I would do that facing death? No, it was more than that. Their lives had become through Christ, linked up to the very life of God the Father. And we talk about how we have difficulties in our lives. You read about the early church who stood before lions, who had emperors who, if you professed Christian, if you professed to be a Christ follower, he would put you up on a pole and light his streets with you. Church, we've missed the mark and the power of the gospel. These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become through Christ, literal sons of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity. They were founders of a new kingdom. J.B. Phillips goes on to say this, they still speak to us across the centuries. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. God hasn't changed, folks. It's us. The resurrection of Christ offers to us the same power that the early church possessed, but we don't rely on it or even ask for it most of the time. The early church saw thousands of people added to their numbers on many occasions. Listen to Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000. Could you imagine if 3,000 people and Green Bay came to know the Lord today? How would that change the culture? Could you imagine if 3,000 people walked into this building today and said, I want to follow Christ? Would you be like, ah, I'm out. Like, that's just, you're doing something to the gospel. No, I mean, it is the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified and him saved and him resurrected from the grave. Look at Acts 4.4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Hello. Or how about this? Acts 2.47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day, God was adding believers to the family. Why? Because those men knew something amazing about the power and the presence of God in their lives, that their life was not lived anymore in this flesh. It was found in Christ alone. What you believe will determine how you behave. They believed that their life was only found in Christ and through Christ. And it affected everything. It wasn't just a Sunday morning, Wednesday night, every once in a while I come together kind of faith. It affected every aspect. When they went to work, when they were at home with their families, when they were at the grocery store, when they were at the barber shop, everywhere they went. So what was it that they believed? What is it that you and I must learn to believe? Well, I have a, some of you have been wondering, what is this thing over here? I know, because, sir, I've been working on a magic trick. 
uh, Abe's kind of inspired me a little bit this week. And so um, I've been working on this thing. So you guys have seen those things where, you know, people get behind it and they shake it and throw it up and then they change completely. Like, so I've been working on this one. Um, hopefully this works. Okay. Um, you guys ready? I'm not ready yet. Hold on. Okay, here we go. Okay, yeah, great. Thanks. Um, whew. I'll keep working. No, I mean, I, listen, some of you are like, wow, that was like underwhelming. Um, this is what, what I call the gospel according to Rubbermaid. This is what the New Testament church believed. This is what you and I have to begin to believe, that this is our life. And we can do whatever we want to try to fill it up. But guess what? We'll never feel full. We'll never, it will never fit that hole. There's a God-shaped hole in each of our lives that if we've never put our faith and trust in him, it will never feel satisfied. We can fill it up with, our, with relationships, with money, with you know, being popular, with whatever we want. But it's a God-shaped hole. And so here's what the New Testament church believed. They believed first that Christ lived in them. Colossians 1.27, Paul writes and he says this, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles. That's me, um, and that's probably a lot of you. And this is the secret. Christ, Christ lives in you. This is the power of the gospel. When we've put our faith and trust in Christ, guess what? He lives inside of us. And nothing we do will get rid of Christ. I can't get him out once I've said, God, come into my life, because the Holy Spirit has sealed me. What a beautiful picture. So when people look at you, what should they see? Christ in me, right? Oh, that's amazing. But can I tell you what? That's just the beginning. I feel like I should be like on an infomercial, but wait, there's more. You ready? Catch this out. You ready? So this is what they go on to say. Not only does Christ live in you, but we must believe that our real life is hidden with Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, says this, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ. Okay. This is what a real life should look like. Now when people see me in the world, what do they see? They see Christ. They don't see Christ in me. They don't see me like you might be able to see you a little bit in there, like you're in there somewhere. But people should primarily see Christ. And they should hear Christ. And they should begin to live and see, man, there's something different about you. Well, yeah, it's that my life is hidden with Christ. But wait, there's more. Because Colossians 3, 3 ends with this. We must believe that Christ lives in you and that your life is hidden with Christ. Where? In God. Colossians 3, 3 ends by saying, for your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Welcome to the gospel according to Rubbermaid. Now what do you see? Do you see you? Or do you see God? We're to be an imitator of God so that when people look at us, they don't see us, but they see God. 
He should be the whole focus of our lives. This is what the New Testament church believed. Not only that, this is what Jesus taught us. Jesus said, listen, it's, it's more than just this. He, he talked to us in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, we've lost the power of God because we're trying to do this life on our own. It's not about any one man or woman or family or tradition or heritage or anything. It's about God. And understanding that I must abide in him and have him in me. So I broke this this word abide out to kind of help us understand what abide means. Because remember, the Christian life is impossible without the power of God. Abide, A, adore Christ more today than yesterday. Adore him more today than yesterday. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Can I tell you what my prayer is a lot of times? God, would you help me love you more today than I loved you yesterday? God, would you help me to know you more today than I knew you yesterday. God, would you help me to to live in you more today than I did yesterday? God, would you help me to proclaim you more today than I did yesterday? This this word adore is, is a word that means like, you know, I'm cherishing something. It is something that is special to me, something that is that is powerful, something that means something in my life. Adore Christ more today than yesterday. Be begin each day with God. Begin each day with him. It doesn't matter if you wake up at 4 a.m. or if you wake up at 9 a.m. It doesn't matter if you work the night shift. Start your day every day with Christ. Jesus taught us this in Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. It's important for us. You wonder why your day gets sideways? Question, did you start it with God? Did you start with with the thought of, God, I want to to glorify you today. God, I need you today in my life. Have you started with God? Begin each day with him. We abide in him by adoring him and by beginning with him. The I imitate Christ's attitudes and actions. We looked at this verse several times this week, Philippians 2. Great passage. And, and what Paul says, he says, have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. It's amazing how that phrase keeps coming up, isn't it? In Christ, Christ in me, abide in me as I abide in you. And this idea of in things. He says, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We've talked this week about humility and honesty and repentance and forgiveness. These are all things that Christ has taught us to do. 
all things that he has lived out in his life imitate Christ's attitude and actions. You know, this is something that God's been putting on my heart lately to do. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you want to do it as well. I'm going to start reading through the Gospels. I just want to read about Christ's life. I want, to, I want to saturate myself in looking at Christ. What did you do? What were you about? What did you say? How did you handle things in life? I just want to saturate myself into the Gospels. Maybe that's where you need to begin. D, deny yourself. Deny your desires, your wants, your plans, your dreams, your hopes. God, it's not what I want, but what you want. Jesus prayed this in the garden when he was facing death on the cross. God, if there's any other way, could we do it? If there's a different approach, if there's a way that that we could save the world without me dying, because I don't really necessarily want to die. This is going to be painful. This is going to be hard. This isn't going to be easy. Did he stop there? No, he said, not what I want, but what you want, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus lived this out for us. He even tells us in Matthew 6, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've got to be willing to deny our hopes, our dreams, our plans and say, God, not what I want, but what you want. This life I live is only lived through Christ in me. E, expect God to show up and complete the work in you. Philippians 1 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began the work will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. The reality of Christ in you invaded the lives of the first church. The power of Christ in me helped them to be imitators and not imitations. If we abide in Christ, if we understand this picture of the gospel is that Christ lives in me and my real life is hidden with Christ in God. If we grab this reality for our lives, then man, guess what? We will see God do amazing things. Look at how Paul wraps up Colossians 1.10. Then the way you live, if this is how you believe, if this is, if you understand that the power of the gospel is Christ in you, then the way you live will always Honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And, you, and all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Man, if I can just grasp this reality. And guess what? My life will always be pleasing to God. Why? Because it will always be about God. Who will I see? Who will people see when they look at me? Who will I see when I look at myself in the mirror? I will see God in me. And my life will be honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And then we can begin to see God move in an amazing way. Here's our life in action question for you. Are you abiding in God? Are you with God in a daily practice? Do you adore him more today than you did yesterday? Or is Christ just something you do on Sundays? And I don't know about you, but I'd love to see the New Testament again. 
I'd love to see hundreds of people come to know God in one day. You know how that happens? It doesn't happen through a pastor up here preaching messages. It happens through a church body as a whole, us included, that grasp this concept to live a life of, of God, for God, and by God. Christ in me. This morning, are you abiding with Christ? I, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him this morning. Um, and that's just going to be, we're going to sing a song um, and we're going to come to a, open up a, a time of prayer at the altar. If you want to come and take Pastor Chad by the hand or if you want to bring somebody up to come and pray or if God's just putting something on your heart, maybe, maybe you're in this room this morning and you're that empty box that says you. You've never given your heart to Christ. Would you do that today? Would you say, man, God, I, I want you in me. I, I want to be in you and you in me. Maybe that's as far as you've ever gone, is Christ living inside of you. But you've never truly taken that next step of saying, God, you know what, I, I want this to be all about you. Maybe your life isn't represented by this picture this morning. God is saying, you know what, there's some things I want you to, to do for me. There's some, some things I need you to give up. Would you come and lay those down at the altar this morning? Would you just sit where you are? Would you kneel where you are? Would you just do business with God this morning? Whatever it is he's asking you to do, would you respond to him? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, would you... Would you, Lord, just come in and move in a special way? Lord, would you forgive me for the times that, yes, I have you in my life, but my life is not in you. I'm not abiding in you. I'm not spending time in your word. I'm not adoring you. I'm not denying myself. I'm not trying to imitate you. God, I'm not expecting you to finish things. I'm trying to work on them myself. Lord, would you forgive me for those moments? God, would you, would you revive us again? God, would you do something amazing in our hearts and lives that God would affect this community, would affect the state, would affect the nation, would affect the world for you, not for us? God, we love you. Lord, we confess that in this moment and tomorrow and next week, that God, we need you. We need you in us. We need you living through us. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.